0: Hello, and welcome to the Virtual Cafe. My name is Elizabeth Tyree, and I'm taking over. Normally, the cafe is managed by Sigalola and her little human, but today I think I'm going to give it a try. Can't be that hard, right? I'm an author, a mother, a teacher, and a bibliophile, and I'm going to read to you a few little stories and excerpts from my books. So buckle up, buttercup, and Enjoy. I will begin with a short story about the dragon world as I write the Stone Dragon Saga, which follows a dragon family and their fairy friends as they are attempting to thwart the crazy evil fairy queen from taking over the world. The first story I'm going to be telling you is a legend from that world. Grandmother, Alexian's young voice floated across the room on a yawn. Will you tell us a story? Grandma Dragon, her head resting just inside the large family den that Sir Brandon Livingston had built them, smiled softly at her youngest grandchild. Does everyone wish to have a story? Three dragon heads and seven human ones all lazily nodded their assent, each one in a daze of happily exhausted laziness. So, with her deep and soothing voice rounding out the words in the way of grandmothers through all the worlds and times, she began... When the world of our ancestors was still very young, before the rift between the worlds of magic and mortals, the realms were filled with all types of fantastical creatures. You already know of the nymphs and naiads, fairies, and, of course, the dragons, to name a few. But perhaps the sweetest and shyest of all mythological beasts were our own distant cousins, the sea dragons. High on a misty mountaintop above a peaceful village, lived Harlan Skythin, that is, Harlan of the Dark Wings. Now Harlan had lived on the mountain for as long as anyone could remember, and was the village of Vincha's friend and protector. He had never met another like him, not even his mother, for his heg had been a gift from Aethne, this great dragon mother whom the creator had gifted with the care of such creatures. One day, as Harlan sat keeping watch over the village below, A group of traveling peddlers came to town with their bright wagons and wares to sell. Among these travelers was a blind old storyteller and, as everyone likes a good story, each and every villager, whether they were young, old, rich, poor, or covered in scales, gathered in the town meeting place to hear an adventure. The bard did not disappoint, delivering a tale of great suspense and detailing the exploits of one family of dragons living to the east. As you can imagine, Harlan eagerly drank in every word. The following morning found him gone, having left his home to find a family. To this day, no one really knows what happened to Harlan of the Dark Wings during those travels. He never told a full accounting of any adventure he may have had along the way. What is known, however, is that after a voyage that lasted over a year in length, he returned to Vincha with a bride. Naftala was a small and dainty dragon the soft pink of her scales flushed like a seashell, and the tinkle of her laughter like the lapping of gentle waves upon the shore, for she was a seaside dragon and had lived there with her family since birth. Soon after their return to Harlan's village, Naftala found herself expecting a child. The entire village began to prepare for a bouncing baby dragon, laying in extra supplies and making cute toys to be torn up upon the little protector's arrival. In the course of the year as is the way with our kind, the egg began to wiggle and wobble and squeak, and so everyone gathered to await the newest member of the Skahtane family. What happened next, though, is so rare and wonderful that no one could have predicted it. When the egg began to crack and pieces fell away to allow the new generation access to the world, three pairs of eyes were peering out at their parents. Tumbling from the confines of their cramped egg, first Aethne rolled into view covered all over in scales the color of burning flames, earning her name immediately. Following soon after, though much more slowly than his sister, Glendower padded out into the world. Glenn was covered in scales the color of softened sea glass, though that was not the first thing about him that people would notice. No, the first thing that people would notice about Glendower chythane was that he had a graceful neck webbing between his claws, and what looked like leaves growing along his body. Sometime within the chaos surrounding his brother's arrival, Ken quietly slid his way out of the eggshell, his bright turquoise and deep green scales flashing in the sunlight. Kin also sported webbed claws, a long graceful neck, and he was growing what looked like seaweed along his scales. Though their parents and their village loved the triplets intensely, Naftala fretted that something had gone wrong with her boys. While Aethne grew over the next few months, learning to duck, dodge, dive, and fly with ease, her brother stayed smaller than average and found it more difficult to maneuver quickly. Finally, not understanding why two of her children looked so strange and fearing for their health, Naphtila convinced Harlan that they should once again desert their post as protectors in order to visit her family. As they approached Naftala's family home, high on a cliff overlooking the vast ocean, the triplets caught their first view of the water. Following their mother's joyous lead, the winglings swooped down the, to glide through the soft waters, but only Naphtila and Aethne came back up to the air. Kin and Glendower found that their webbed toes helped them maneuver in the water, like they could never do in the air. Their odd growths made perfect sense as they swam among the flora and fauna of the ocean floor, and though they could breathe quite well on land, The brothers had no problems under the waves. Ecstatic in their newfound fun, the boys refused to leave the water, but followed their family to the shore below the Murdoch family caverns. Seeing their grandchildren so easily swimming, Naftala's parents confessed to her that their family had come down from sea dens and ocean nymphs. Though it was a distant connection, and no one had been called in generations, every so often a wingling would be born to live in the sea and protect its creatures. Realizing that her sons were meant for a life in the water, Naftala tearfully came to an understanding with her family. She and Harlan were needed in Vincha, and when the time was right, Aethne would take over as the village protector. The Murdochs would now be Ken and Glenn's guardians. Promising to meet once a year at that exact shore, Naftala and Harlan reluctantly kissed their sons goodbye and went on their way. As the years passed on, Aethne, Glendower, and Ken each found their own homes, their own mates, and had their own children, often spending all of their time in the deep waters far from shore. Such is the way of life. However, each year the ever-growing family met on the shores of Murdoch Cliff to celebrate the triumphs and mourn the losses of their time apart. As happened to a lot of families, when the realm split apart, some of the Scythian and Murdoch families were left wandering in the mortal oceans. Over the following years, Sedans and Sea Dragons thrived in Rilta, the land of magics, whose name is translated to Star, while finding it difficult to continue existing within the mortal realm. Eventually, all but the smallest traces of the families were left here, though you can still find a descendant or two. They are small and almost unrecognizable as proud members of the dragon family. And that, children, Grandmother Dragon paused to smile around the room, noting that only Alexian and Joseph still had their eyes open, is how sea dragons came into existence. Now close your eyes, my little winglings, and dream of the ocean. So that was the legend of how sea dragons came to be in the stone dragon saga. We call them Sedans. And there is one such creature who is a main proponent proponent in books three, four, and the fifth one, which I am currently working on. But right now I'm going to read you a small excerpt from the middle of book one, Dragon on My Neck. So a little background on Dragon on My Neck. Aliphonser is the only known fairy dragon in existence, and the fairy queen, Passiona, has been keeping him in a solidified form. She turns him into a necklace and wears him around until she wants to have him perform for her friends and family. Um, King Ferdinand, her husband, is trying to protect Aliphonsor and his family, and Passiona is trying to learn dark magics and make fairies the uh, overlords of everybody once more. So we are now on chapter 14. As soon as his servant's footsteps faded down the stairs, the fairy king straightened his shoulders, firmed his resolve, and took the three extra steps necessary to land him in front of Passiona's door. He knocked twice and pasted a smile on his face as he listened to her approaching footfalls. The door swung open and a surprised Passiona peeked around it at her husband. "'What are you doing, darling? I thought you would be with the dragons still.' "'No, they're all settled down and locked in for the night. I thought I would let them have some family time.' Ferdinand smiled hesitantly. May I come in? I thought we could spend some time together before tomorrow's hectic schedule. Sure. Pashiona opened the door and motioned him inside. What do you mean, tomorrow's hectic schedule? Didn't anyone tell you? Ferdinand shook his head. Must have slipped our minds in the horror of finding that horrible mess in the dragon's rooms. What did? Pashiona was obviously losing patience with her husband, the words coming out as an almost growl, the dark emotions in her eyes barely being contained. "'Oh, sorry,' Ferdinand smiled and continued to play the twit. "'I thought I'd already told you. "'King Zalin and Queen Hilger arrived earlier. "'Apparently they were already on the way toward our kingdom "'when I sent out that invitation.' "'And why would they have already been heading this way?' Pashiona asked, attempting to act as if she actually cared. "'I believe the Queen has cousins living on the outskirts of our land,' "'Ferdinand shrugged. "'Whatever the reason, they arrived much earlier than anticipated.' which means tomorrow's schedule is going to be completely hectic. I'll have to try to make my rounds of the castle, checking on the stable renovations and the night's training, among the other things, while I show them around. Ferdinand wrapped an arm around Passiona's waist and led her to a seating area. That's not why I'm here, though. Oh, no? Passiona tittered at her husband. Why are you here, then? Well, I'm here to spend some time with my beautiful wife. Ferdinand settled onto the couch with Passiona and draped his arm across her back as she laid a head on his shoulder. "'Tell me, darling, are you learning a lot with your new tutor?' "'Oh, yes,' Passione asserted. "'Learning the most fascinating things. "'Did you know that, according to legend, "'a man went up against the Mother of Shadows "'and her beloved Pendim? "'Gindrow couldn't defeat the entire race of man, "'who continued to wage war on her for decades, "'so they created a new world full of dangers "'and and transported the race of man there. "'That's why our world's separated.' The few members of the race that managed to stay here eventually married into other races, which is how we got some of our hybrids and some very, very large fairies. That is very interesting for leaned Ford, the light of an excited scholar shining from his eyes. I don't remember hearing that one before. What else have you learned? Oh, I thought you knew most of those legends, dear. Passiona looked quizzically at her husband. From your great-great-grandmother and grandmother telling you bedtime stories. "'They didn't like to tell me any stories that included a lot of violence or dark beings.' Ferdinand shrugged. "'Tanta and Great-Grandmother were incredibly protective. "'They were afraid of giving me nightmares.' "'Well, that's sweet, I suppose.' "'Pachiona wrinkled her nose, scrunched her eyes, and pursed her lips at her husband. "'Let's see another legend I learned today.' "'Her voice trailed off for a moment. "'Did your grandmother tell you the story of the first centaurs?' "'No, I don't know that one either.' Ferdinand placed his elbows on his knees and steepled his fingers under his chin. It sounds entertaining, though. Go on. A long time ago, when the world was newly formed and our kingdoms had not yet been created, man and beast waged a great war against each other. Horses, unicorns, and even rhinoceroses fought fiercely against humans and fairies for dominion over the lesser beings inhabiting this world. Fashiona intoned, waggling her eyebrows for effect. This war continued for three years, with every creature choosing a side and fearfully awaiting the outcome. Well into the third year, a summit meeting between leaders and the opponents was called. It was decided that a final battle would be waged and the winner granted control of this world. The battle was staged in a rocky plain, chosen for its harsh terrain and its position between the opposing party's headquarters, with the combatants fighting for seven days straight. As the dust cleared on the seventh night, Those who had come to view the victor were surprised to see that the battle had left no survivors. Yet, as the stunned onlookers watched, a strange light infused the blood-soaked battleground. The bodies of the slain began to dissolve into the rocky surroundings, replaced with lush grass and blooming plant life. In the center of what had been moments before a horrific sight of blood and gore stood a creature like none had ever seen before. His legs were that of a horse, strong and covered in deep red hair, but his upper body was that of a fiery-haired boy. The onlookers, taking this as a sign from powers greater than their own, took the creature into their homes, each race teaching this new being their ways and their laws. When the boy had grown into a man, he took control of them all. Ruling with a fair and open mind, he brought peace and happiness to the world, and especially to those who had found and taught him. No wonder centaurs always seem so proud, Ferdinand laughed. I like that story. I'm afraid that is all I learned today, sir, Pasciona laughed. Besides, I want you to be happily surprised when your present is finished. How will you be able to enjoy it fully if I tell you all of the legends that there are in the decks? I suppose you're right, dear, Ferdinand sighed with disappointment. But you are such a good storyteller, and I do so love a good story. I know you do, Pasciona shook her head and ran her fingers lightly up her husband's arm. Story time is over now. She yawned and rose to her feet. I need my beauty sleep, darling, and you, my sire, need to get your rest. Apparently, we have a big day tomorrow. As you say, darling, Ferdinand stood as well and made his way to the door. Good night, my sweet. Good night, love. Pesciona waved to Ferdinand as he left the room and turned to go as the door shut behind her. I hope that you have enjoyed this little foray into the legends and lore of the Stone Dragon Saga. If dragons and fairies are not quite your thing, I also have a couple of short story books and children's books that are currently available on Amazon and Kindle as well. So I hope that you can find something of mine that you enjoy. I have a booktube channel under the name Elizabeth Tyree Soulstained Inc. I also have two blogs. One is all about the books I'm reading and one is all about what I'm writing. So if you would like to check those out, please feel free. They are over on WordPress. Thank you again. And now I am going to hand this back over to Sigalola and her little human because this is much harder than it looked.